everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Welcome to The Run-Through with Vogue. I'm Cho Minaldi. And I'm Chloe Mal. On today's episode, we speak with Giselle. No, not the Giselle you're usually hearing about from Vogue but we love to be unexpected at the run-through. This is Giselle Fetterman, a model of her own kind, a model of sustainability, activism, the ideal senatorial spouse. But first, let's get into this week's headlines. All right, so Chama, what the hell is happening with Balenciaga? It is an actual... Clusterfuck. I mean, seriously. It's a nightmare. Walk me through what's happening. It really starts with these two campaigns that were released separately. Separate Balenciaga campaigns. Right. Okay. So the first was called the Balenciaga gift shop campaign. Okay. Featured children with these bags that were shaped like teddy bears. And the teddy bears kind of were wearing, you know, BDSM gear or what looked like bondage. Leather harnesses, bondage. Yeah. Yeah. People were outraged. Okay. People were upset. Balenciaga apologized. Then a second campaign was released in the same week. This one called the Garderobe campaign. Wardrobe. Wardrobe. Yeah. Garderobe is wardrobe. So it's more kind of their classics collection. This one was a little bit more difficult to understand, you know, kind of a little bit more, was a little bit more provocative for a lot of people. It was Isabelle Huppert, right. French actress, yeah. legend. Yeah. Uh, She's standing in an office at a desk with the bag, the purse that's being advertised, on the desk on top of a stack of, or sort of a messy reef of papers. Right. The still life image of that particular bag is against those documents in which you can read, you can kind of make out pieces of the text. And the text is? Pages from the Supreme Court 2008 decision which ruled that the promotion of child pornography was was not covered by the First Amendment rights. I mean, just to be clear, these SCOTUS papers, which probably came from Olivia Benson's desk into some set designer's <laughs> box, they, it was not like go child pornography. This was a ruling against the use of child pornography. So that combined with teddy bears in bondage. Got people, people were... The, Tucker the, Carlson had it out for them. It, it's, you know, when it gets on Fox News, it's, it's, it's only uh, going downhill. It's, oh, you know, it's, it's, it just became this huge, huge drama, this huge thing. What ultimately happened is that the brand is suing the production company and the set designer. 
So they are not Which claiming they're responsibility. they're basically scapegoating them, correct? I mean, de- uh, debatably. Debatably. They are not, you know, they, they issued a statement saying that. And not suing them happening. for peanuts, I might add. No. 25 million. 25 million. So it's, you know, it has become a really serious, really high profile story case. Um, Is it an actual drama in that, like, it could affect how things go at Balenciaga? Or is it really just like a, a an online tempest in a teapot? I would hope it's an online tempest in a teapot, but I have never seen a controversy of this magnitude. Really? In the last, in recent memory. Okay. That, so it feels quite... This is the Iran-Contra scandal of uh, 2022 it, fashion. It, it does feel like it has gotten so overblown you know when you get when you suddenly attract the attention of Tucker Carlson and you know it's it's gone beyond the bounds of the of the fashion world then you've really you know you've it's just weird it's just not I don't know let let stop kink shaming Paddington let the teddy bear live if he wants to wear bondage it's not like there's a a child being tied up it's a bear no but if you can if you can imagine there were sort of Hundreds of thousands of of people sharing the hash, hashtag cancel Balenciaga like in a matter of days. Wow! And some of their celebrity friends. Exactly. So as we know, Kim Kardashian is almost wears exclusively Balenciaga. Yeah. She's been featured in the campaign. She's very friendly with Demna. She famously wore a Balenciaga hood to the Met Gala. Yeah, she did as as a kind of like a Zentai suit. You know, completely and I mean, frankly, black. that was more offensive to me than this campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. I'll disagree there, but we'll, we'll keep God, going. You're such a Kim apologist. I'm not. <laughs> I am not a Kim apologist. <laughs> um, but Kim obviously, you know, had had to weigh in. Kim came out and she says, you know, that she's reevaluating her relationship in light of the controversy. Um, People are such pushovers. Yeah, you know, I know. I think it's um, it, it it it's difficult, right? Because I do think people we live in fear of 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 backlash. We live in fear of cancel culture. Yeah. Um, and it's it's unfortunate, you know, that when you know the extreme right media link with like the liberal left, and you get this explosion of yeah of 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 hate and you know outrage. It's just nothing good can come of it. Yeah. No, well, and there has to be room for atonement, right? That's the biggest takeaway for me. And the saddest thing about this is that when you don't give creators room to take risks, room to make mistakes, room to say, I messed up here and I'd yeah. like to do better, then you run the risk of stifling creativity. You right. know, obviously, you know, I think we can all agree that the the, the campaign was ill-conceived it was a mistake you know I I you know I'm sure everybody would agree that nobody believes that Balenciaga really wants to push some kind of agenda for child pornography it's just ridiculous you know and if you can believe it there was huge news just a few days before this entire drama snowballed Alessandra Michele who was the creative director at Gucci announced after 20 years at the brand, you know, and eight years as the creative director, almost eight years as the creative director, that he would be leaving. Ah, devastating. I like to call him Alessandro because I just I just mm-hmm. think he seems like he, he's the kind of guy that you Let's call, call by his Let's just give people a visual. Name. This man yeah. truly looks like a very well-suited 1970s Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, like cult leader, rock star. Yeah. You know, he has... 
you know, rings on every finger. Flowing, flowing chestnut hair, locks. You know, likes to twin with Jared Leto. Like, mm-hmm. you get the vibe. Um, so he actually worked at Gucci for 20 years. So he was a behind-the-scenes person, actually, and has kind of called Gucci his family because it was his family. He worked there for 20 years. But he really reinvented the wheel. Completely reinvented the wheel. I remember when he showed his first collection back in, I think it was 2015, and it was like a kind of minor revolution, not even yeah. a major revolution. I mean, we forget the Arab Spring. Forget Let's the talk Arab about Spring. Gucci. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I think it, it introduced this conversation about gender nonconformity in a real way. Very maximalist. Yeah, um, of course. And we were coming out of extremely a extremely expressive. Yeah, it, right. I feel like it was the first. He was the first designer to really embrace this idea of sort of express your true self, authenticity, like just go all the way for who you are. Like enough of the – it was sort of the anti-Phoebe Philo Celine. It was like hashtag old Celine. This was hashtag new Gucci. It's true. We went from minimalist to maximalist and something – it felt very personality driven. Very yes, exactly. Much. Not about trends. He didn't really evolve. Yeah. You know the look. It it felt very much an aesthetic, a world. Think about Harry Styles. Where would Harry Styles be without Gucci? That boa, you know, it completely that keep helped me him up look. at night. No, <laughs> seriously, it helped him define his look as a solo artist. I really right. do think sure, that sure, you know sure. before that he was kind of like a boy band guy, right? But you know, along comes Alessandro. Oh We're gonna get death threats. We are. From but- from Styles fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think he was, Alessandro was so good at forging relationships with people like Harry, with people like Billy. Billy Eilish. Florence, Billy Eilish. Sorry, I'm like, everybody should know. <laughs> Choma's best friends. <laughs> My bestie, Billy. I moderated an interview with the two of them and it was a love fest. You know, they yeah. he would call her at midnight her time because of the time difference between Rome and LA and they'd have these long conversations and it was like everything I mean I hate to use this word because it's so overused but it was authentic like yeah I mean they were actual relationships it wasn't just a check in the mail from you know one of the old school European fashion houses yeah yeah and you know I think it really feels like the end of an era to be honest or that yeah what else I mean because it does sort of feel like this transitional moment we're at the end of the year everyone's sort of coming out of the pandemic like is this the post-covid shake-up in the industry yes yes i think that's exactly what it is i think we're and i think 2023 is going to be a really interesting year you know the the, you know there are so many new players there are so many unfilled houses there are so many there's so so much what are big appointments that are going to happen in the next few months Let's start with Burberry because Daniel Lee, formerly of Bottega Veneta, has stepped into the role at Burberry and okay. will be showing his first collection next year. Okay. So that's And later we'll be talking to the new Bottega designer, Mathieu Blasé. Exactly. You know, and obviously, you know, this past week we honored, you know, it was one year since Virgil passed away. And, yeah, Virgil Yeah, you know, and, and that his position at Louis Vuitton is still has yet to be appointed. He was the designer of the Louis Vuitton menswear. Yeah. And so that's still open. So that's something that will be filled. Gucci obviously now has an opening. Um, Raph Simmons said last week that he's shutting down his label. His own label, yeah. So it just feels like a lot of the the tectonic plates are shifting. So in a decidedly not Alessandra Michele fashion moment, Naomi Biden wore pristine, elegant, crisp white Ralph Lauren to her wedding at the White House. Tell me more. Well, I did not attend the royal wedding. (laughs) However, 
I was at the White House last week. Oh, mm, woof! All right. We we need to officially put that you know out there on record. So we'll start from the beginning. Vogue was in discussions with the White House and ended up photographing Naomi Biden, uh, the president's granddaughter, eldest granddaughter, uh, in her wedding dress with her grandmother, Dr. Jill Biden. I thought it, she looked stunning. They they looked fabulous. It was all their looks really nailed it. It was exactly what you wanted from the White House winter wedding. Yeah. Super elegant, classic. Norman Jean Roy, his wife Joanna, who's his photo assistant, and myself went down to D.C. Thursday before Thanksgiving. We photographed Naomi in her Ralph Lauren dress that was very Grace Kelly vibes. Then the story came out a few days later, and the White House press corps went apeshit because they were not given access to the wedding, and they thought that I was at the wedding, and they were very offended that they were told that the event was a private event— and which already was controversial since every White House wedding has always invited the press. And so this one was, they were disgruntled not to have access. And then Vogue came out with this glossy photo spread and they felt that Vogue had been the one outlet invited to the wedding, which was not the case, much to my chagrin. No, but I will say I read the piece. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Your description was especially evocative. Thank I you. I did almost, I could almost picture it. I can understand why people thought maybe you were there. You just well, didn't you, you overdelivered, girl. But you people, overdelivered. Woof. <laughs> no one thought it would be, you know, wedding gate the way it turned out to be. I mean, the press corps just went really were very annoyed at the White House and their press secretary. But yeah, it was v- such a treat to be able to be at the White House. Yeah. Um, uh, what's it like? So it's much smaller than I thought it would be. <laughs> okay. I feel like By the end of the day, I was like, oh, I know where everything is. I can make myself at home here. And actually, Naomi and Peter, her now husband, and their mini Aussie shepherd, Charlie, are living on the third floor of the White House. They live in the same, like, apartment or suite that Michelle Obama's mom lived in for eight years. Wow. They're between leases on their apartments, so they just moved in with their grandparents. (laughs) They're just squatting at the White House. Exactly. Chloe, you know I always love a bit of a bit of romantic gossip. You love a celeb. I love, love a, I yeah. love a celeb love match. Okay, and I think. Well, let me tell you who's giving you a lot of those. Pete Davidson. Oh, I mean, I can see the attraction. I think Pete's pretty cute. I, I, I do too. I'm just impressed. The man has swagger. The man has swagger, and I mean, you know, the French have a saying that if you can make a woman laugh, you're halfway into her bed, and I really think that's true. I mean, he is a funny guy. You know, and his latest uh, love interest is Emily Radajowski. And they were seen, you know, courtside. She was beaming. She was giggling. They so just they looked went, so adorable. That was their relationship status update. That was their coming out. Sitting courtside <laughs> at the Knicks game. It's such a, uh, Practically it's such a trope now yeah, that they almost were. I, I feel like they're they were in on it. It's they're such a 2022 couple and tar- and it's so evocative of this moment that every news story about it cropped poor Ben Stiller out of the photo I mean. who was sitting next to Pete Davidson looking completely confused by the media circus around him. Yeah, it was a great moment. Come a long way from Zoolander. I mean. I so what is it about Pete for you? He's the rebound king. Look, I mean anytime you need to pick me up, you know, and I think one thing I loved was that, you know, there are women waiting in line to date him. I mean, Dion Warwick, who is the queen of Twitter, <laughs> basically yeah, tweeted tweet? that she'd like to date him next. Oh, I love her. That's I know. fantastic. It was just great. I mean, 
But look, you know, I mean, he seemed to have so much fun with Kim. It was exactly what she needed. You just want something light and fun and someone who's going to pick you up. And Emrata's had a crappy time. You know, she's coming out of a divorce. Um, so she should she deserves a little fun. Little- I mean, look, I'm curious what the Venn diagram overlap that connects Ariana Grande, Kim Kardashian, Margaret Qualley, Cassie David, Kaya Gerber, and now Emrata. That's- well, I'm, I'm impressed you know his entire dating history. I, I typed it up. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm, a, I'm a big Emrata fan. I want to listen yeah. to her podcast. I, uh, I think she's smart. She's, yeah. uh, Emrata, if you're listening, we want you on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mazel tov to the happy yeah, couple. I'm happy to see mm-hmm. that. I hope that romance flourishes in 2023. Mm-hmm. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under, category like fragrances and handbags, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's macy's.com slash gift finder today. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So we were pretty excited when Giselle Fetterman agreed to join us on the show. Yes, we've been keeping an eye on her ever since the Pennsylvania Senate race, particularly because she's been a very refreshing presence on the political scene. Right? She's not your typical Senate Mm -mm. spouse. She's Brazilian-born. She runs a couple of mutual aid organizations. She shops almost exclusively vintage, so she's a woman close to my heart. Very up your alley. Right. (laughs) And she's also kind of funny, you know. She used to refer to herself as Slop, second lady of Pennsylvania. I love it. So good. When her husband was lieutenant governor of the state. Has more of a ring than Flotus, I would say. For sure. (laughs) When Vogue.com published a piece on how she wore a $12 thrifted dress to her Senate orientation, it went viral. So, of course, we were like, ah, let's get this lady on to tell us about her fashion ways and wants. And we also obviously talked to her about the intense six months on the campaign trail while her husband was recovering from his stroke. And she sort of became the surrogate candidate for a while. It's been a whirlwind few months for you. How is it, what kind of been the hardest moments of helping your husband through the campaign? How is he doing? Because obviously it's been an intense year for you guys as a family. All the things you don't expect to happen, you know, we're kind of in the biggest race in the country. And then right before election night, my husband suffers a stroke. 
And uh, not that there's ever a good time to have it, but somehow there were silver linings there. You know, we were 20 minutes from one of the best stroke centers in the state. Wow. We were able to get him there quickly. And then he wins all 67 counties while in the hospital. Never happened in the history of Pennsylvania. Wow. Wow. And uh, I basically left the hospital. I was there for, you know, four days, no shower, you know. Eating uh, cannolis. That, that's what I found in the in the hospital cafeteria. They had amazing uh. deconstructed cannolis. So what? Yes, <laughs> deconst- they're all broken up. Amazing. So I what? I ate that for four days. Nothing but cannolis. Oh my god! Because <laughs> I know you're also a nutritionist, yes. right? So I'm sure that was probably hard for you. <laughs> right, I, a bad nutritionist, clearly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I left the hospital after four days and. Came home, took a shower, and went straight to the accept the nomination at the election party. So it's been uh, <laughs> it's been a lot. I mean, you were really sort of like the candidate for a while because your husband just wasn't able to be out there. Was that an experience you were prepared for? Had any had ever anticipated? What was the hardest part of that? No, I think I was just a, a surrogate that was needed at that time. I never anticipated it because I don't like politics. I uh, <laughs> Would never run for office. I I don't like that world. It's not for me. Um, I much more enjoy kind of being behind the scenes, doing the work that I do. So I think I was just what was needed at that time. And, you know, what better surrogate than someone who loves and believes in him? So I got to be that for a little bit. And then he's back. And then election night came again. <laughs> and he brought it home. So it's it's been a lot of emotions. But also, like, Something that, you know, to recover from a stroke, right? That alone is very hard to do it privately as a family. And, you know, he's had to do it with the whole world watching. Yeah. My kids learned about the stroke five minutes before the entire world did. Oh, my God. So it was managing their reality now and their expectations and everything else that was going on. You and the senator have a very charming meat story. Meat <laughs> cute, we call it. And- in the film business. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So at the time I was uh, living in New Jersey, I had a business in New York. I was a nutritionist. I had a private practice there and I had a small nonprofit in Newark, New Jersey, working with food justice and food access. I was in love with the Brooklyn Bridge when I lived in New York. I thought it was just the most beautiful bridge in the world. And I was at a yoga retreat in Costa Rica, totally unrelated. And in the lobby of magazines, there was one American magazine. And I picked it up and I read it. It was ready-made. It's now defunct. But it was like an artist. Oh, I remember that. Used to love that magazine. And inside, there was an article about this young mayor that was working to revitalize this ghost town, this community. And something, you know, connected with it. I, I had never read about abandonment. I've always lived in overpopulated cities. Queens, Rio, Newark. And this idea of abandonment, I couldn't grasp. But... Put it away in my brain somewhere, went home, and then came across another article. And this one talked about how the steel that built the Brooklyn Bridge came from Braddock, Pennsylvania. Hmm. And as a Brazilian, you know, signs are everywhere. And I'm like, this is a sign. And uh, <laughs> I wrote a letter to the borough uh, sharing the work that I was doing with food justice and food access and that I wanted to visit and learn and just, I don't know, understand, see it up close. He received my letter. He called me. And I came to visit, and that's how it happened. Wow. Wow. So then you eloped in Burlington, Vermont. You had three kids. They're all now 8, 11, 14, mm-hmm. you said? Yep. And I either read or heard that all three kids were home water births? They were, yep. 
That is insane. Any highlights from that you want to share? Or I- I'm just like fascinated by... Well, people are like, oh, you're so brave. And I don't think it was... I think it's the opposite. I think like, you know, when you're pregnant, you just... I found myself watching all the baby shows, right? Like obsessively watching baby shows. And I would see these hospital birds and all these bright lights and like this woman just delivered a baby and like no one covers her and like the father-in-law is standing right there. And I was like, "Ah, I don't know about this. (laughs) And so I just started exploring more and I thinking like, it can't be that bad, right? If it was that bad, people wouldn't keep having kids. Um, So I try to... (laughs) Yeah, I've wondered about that. (laughs) So I try to find like, what is the closest way to nature, you know, to be able to to do this and uh, found a home water birth midwife and she delivered all three kids. And like one of those blow up jacuzzis mm-hmm. yep, that they exactly. have? exactly. Wow. Did you use the same one for all three kids? No, because after each kid, I was like, oh, this is the last kid. And then I would I would donate it to the midwife so she could use it with someone else. Because you put a liner <laughs> on it. So yeah, I had to buy three times. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> and so was it as bad as you thought it could no, be? No, it was amazing. Wow. Ton of friends were in the room, and it was like, oh my god! There was a buffet set up, and the lights were dim. Oh my god! No, you're kidding me. This is so not my experience, and and that's why (laughs) I was so scared because that is what you usually see are these experiences. We were very lucky, and you know, the baby literally swims. Like apparently, they know how to swim when they're inside, and like the the little arms swam up. It was surreal. Oh, my God. Yes. But no more. That I definitely never had to buy another tub. <laughs> the shop is closed. <laughs> I loved that when you guys decided not to live in the lieutenant governor's mansion, you were sad to let go of the pool. So instead, you made it the people's pool and everyone could go swim there. What do you think is going to be your people's pool of D.C. and the senatorial experience? <laughs> right. That's what I want to find, right? I want to find what that thing will be in, in, in D.C. And I, I really live in the present. Like, I'm very much like, like right now, you two are the most important people in my world because you're right here with me. So when I'm there, I hope to be able to find that thing as well. And I, I believe that I will. I believe those things will will show themselves. I I enter every room thinking who's missing from it and what voices are missing, what conversations can we bring. Mm. Um, so I think they will hopefully reveal themselves. I saw that you posted an Instagram of you with Chastin Buttigieg. Is he someone you've known for a long time? Are there any like political spouses or politicians that you've been friends with for a while that you're excited to reconnect with? No, he's a new friend, a very new, very sweet friend and looking to find other sweet people in D.C. So if you have any, send my way. (laughs) Giselle, we've been talking about you and thinking about you. We loved Emma Spector's profile, but we were really excited when you tweeted that someone complimented your dress during the Senate spouse orientation, and you proudly told them, thank you, thrifted $12. And so we want to know, what was what was that like? What was their response? Where did you get it? Is that typical for you? <laughs> there was definitely surprise on the other end, but the, the second day was actually funnier, and I didn't tweet about it. So the next day... Somebody came up to me and was like, I, oh my God, I read about your dress yesterday. Is today's <laughs> outfit thrifted too? And I was like, this one was from a swap meet. <laughs> <laughs> what was that outfit? The next day, it was like a pleather thing. Okay. And uh, it was it was from a swap meet. It was such a fun swap meet. And I've been waiting to wear it. And I figured it was a good day for it. And that was like, well, what is that? Like that open an entire new conversation around swap meets. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny that people don't know what that is. Have you always been into thrifting? Is that something that you've been doing since you were younger? 
always. And, you know, when I moved here, my mom cleaned houses. She was a domestic worker when we moved to, to America. And so my mom would clean these fancy homes who had kids many, many times close to our age. And we would get the, the stuff that she would bring back, that their kids were outgrowing. And I remember getting this Benetton red sweatsuit. And it was like the coolest thing because I could never have afforded it. So to me, it was such a gift. Like I've always loved this idea that this has had a life. Hopefully it, it's lived good stories and maybe yeah. it didn't and now it will. So to me, thrifted was always much more appealing. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to build your closet. Absolutely. My 17-year-old niece came to stay with me. She lives in Paris. And I was like, okay, where do you want to go shopping? Like, what's on your list? And she only had thrift stores. It was like thrift stores from like Long Island City to Williamsburg to, you know, like Chelsea. And that was all she wanted. She didn't want to go to any new stores. And I think that's so cool that teenagers are going that direction. It's awesome. And, you know, like the environmental impact is a huge part of it. But I love knowing that, like, my, no one had to suffer, right, for what I'm wearing at any given day. It, right. And I could have much more fun with the search, with the digging, with putting things together than going somewhere where everything is the same. And there's nothing more satisfying than when someone compliments you on what you're wearing and you get to say, $12 from a thrift shop. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> yes. It's so rewarding. When did you make this commitment to wearing 90% used or recycled materials? Since high school. Like, really? Wow. I've always so cool. thrifted. I mean, I could look at my prom dress, it was thrifted. Whatever photo I look in the history, I remember where I got it. I usually remember how much it cost. My wedding dress was $13. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Tell us about your <laughs> wedding dress. I, I listened in a podcast that you guys eloped in Vermont. Yes. Uh-huh. Paint the scene of what you guys were wearing. My husband was wearing shorts. Shocker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we were in Burlington. I think we we love, it's a beautiful city. And I, I think we were both uncomfortable with the idea of a wedding. Like, you know, the idea that anyone shows up for you is like, oh, it gives him anxiety. It kind and it stresses me out. So eloping sounded perfect. I had a dress I got in New York at a thrift store in New York. It was a thrifted, like ruffled, layered mini dress. And uh, we literally picked up, we went to the city hall, picked up the Justice of Peace book. And I was like, her name sounds cool. We called her and she married us in her front yard. Well, I have a style question. Your husband's very famous for his tattoos. And we were both wondering, do you have any? I do. I do. I have a lot of little ones. <laughs> I have a heart here. I have soft here. What does that mean? After I did it here, I said, oh, this is perfect because I have no muscle. So it applies to my arm as well. Um, <laughs> but more just this idea of being radically soft and gentle. Oh, that's lovely. I have a, a horseshoe on my ankle. I have an equal sign on my rib. I have a bunch of tiny ones all over. Okay. I love that. Giselle, where do you guys stay when you're going to be in D.C. now? Is your husband going to get, like, an apartment? Or are you near other, like, new Senate members? Or are there new Senate spouses that you've made friends with? Like, what, what has it been like, the Washington transition? So we are apartment shopping as we speak, looking to find a place close by um, since he'll be there a lot. I'm getting to know my Senate spouses. During that week of orientation, I spend time with the newer additions. And then I got to meet a lot of the existing ones. Looking forward to working with them. There's a book club. Oh, cute. What book is, are they I'm not reading? in yet. I'm only in after inauguration, so. Oh, interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll okay. let you know then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have like a weekly lunch and then they do things together. So I'm going to see what I can, you know, get them involved doing and get to know them and, and learn more. 
That's nice. That's much more community-oriented than I would have expected. Well, we do have a couple of questions, fashion questions, that we ask all of our guests. And the first is, do you have a biggest fashion regret? And if so, what is it? For me, it was class night in high school. And I still, oh, every once in a while, a photo surfaces and I'm like, oh. So it was this beautiful silver snakeskin and like the design of the snakeskin had velvet. And that was fine. And then I took this silver pomade (laughs) and I did like, it was awful. And then like, you know, you take these two parts and you tie under. And then like I silver pomade this part of the hair. Oh, wow. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was awful. (laughs) Wait, what is class night? (laughs) So it's like my high school had prom night. And then the year before prom, they had class night. Oh, interesting. And it was awful. And like every two years. Someone's like, oh, Giselle, I found this picture from class night. And I was like, oh, burn it. <laughs> I love the commitment to a look, though, that you yeah, went exactly. silver you went, pomade. You went full for I've it. Got, I think better to regret than not to regret <laughs> not doing it, right? And we have a second one for you, too. What piece of clothing would you bring to a desert island? To a desert island. I have this, um, it was a thrifted dress, and it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, I got it on eBay, and I don't remember the brand, but it's a very fancy brand. It's like corduroy-ish, but it's also like military and it's layered and it's just fabulous. I love it. Magnolia did an episode in our house and I wore it to that interview and I just, I love it. That's probably my favorite outfit. Yeah, it's so good to have a dress Amazing. that will, yeah. just will never you let you down. Desert island. <laughs> exactly. I'll need all those buckles for the desert. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills, or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes, and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mathieu Blasé is the new designer at Bottega Veneta. 
He's been there for less than a year and already the show in Milan has become basically the show to see and he kind of makes it look easy. So I was really eager to talk to him about that. Yeah, he got his big Vogue profile in the September issue, which you can read on Vogue.com now. But Choma also caught up with him to talk about his recent runway show. Your debut, you opened with what looked like a white tank yes. and jeans and which was actually all this made of, of leather. And, you know, you sort of set the tone yes. for this new vision. You know, like I, I looked at a lot of uh, different women, you know, in research and there was some characters that would always come back. And they were basically very simple. They were wearing a jean and a T-shirt. I thought it was beautiful. You know, as simple as that. Alors, the thing is that at Bottega, we have a craft and we have um, enough craft people to develop and push it to an extreme. What I found interesting in the silhouette is that the technicality behind is so well made by those people that it's only the one that wears it that know how luxury it is. And there is something that I found quite nice in trying to build up luxury for the self and not just to be seen. And that notion of comfort, I also find quite uh, modern. I mean, we all live in the real world. We go to work, people have kids. Um, you know, we can push that vision to an extreme as well. Yeah, and I love that you put Kate Moss yes. in that look. You know, she was wearing what looked like a flannel shirt, a tank top and jeans. Exactly. It reminded me just how beautiful like she is because oh, I think wonderful. you really saw her as she is, you know, because she just looked like she just walked out into the street and wearing something so cool. Exactly. It reminded me like why I loved her as like a teenager when I was growing up. Like, yeah. oh yeah, that's the Kate. That's the 90s Kate. The idea was not to turn her into something that she's not. I wanted her to look like herself, you know what she is. And for me, Kate... You know, like when you look at Calvin Klein and all those images we know from the from the 90s, what Calvin did great is that he made look like her and the, almost erased the clothes to just focus on the character of Kate. And, you know, also I have to admit when I was a teenager, I was extremely obsessed uh, with Kate Moss. She's one of the reasons I do fashion today. Did she love that look? Yeah, it's funny because she already had the pair of jeans in denim. So... Um, when she came for her fitting, it's almost like she didn't have to change. We just had the tank top <laughs> and, the, and the shirt. I think you've talked a little bit about how you fell in love with New York while you were working at Calvin. Like, what was it like living in New York at that time? Like, what about New York do you love? I have a funny story with New York because when I was teenage, my dad used to travel a lot to New York. And he would always take a kid with him. Um, <laughs> and, and basically, New York became a playground because my dad was working all day. And he gave us, I mean, at 14, you know, we were alone in the city, wandering and, you know, going to museum. Basically, it became a field of freedom, New York. It was a very, very joyful time. The energy was great, you know, but also the daily life as well, you know, the galleries, the, the restaurants. So, you know, when it came to do a project, you know, I wanted to do something special and something that was probably more linked to a cultural uh, than just fashion. How has your life changed in the last six months? I mean, now you're more in Milan and also just being in, in the spotlight, you know, because I think having been behind the scenes, like how do you feel about becoming more forward facing, right? Or is that something that you're not interested in so much? Alors, it's funny because the job itself hasn't changed so much because I was already design director in other jobs. 
okay, now I do maybe more marketing, you know, making a brand. The industry itself has been very welcoming. People are warm. I think today in fashion, there, there is a, I feel less the, the pressure between designers. I think people talk and there is kindness. I have to say the only thing that disturbs me is when people call me by my name, where we haven't met. That's maybe the yeah, only thing that... That's feel strange. That really, really <laughs> changed. But for the rest, it's been very, very nice. You know, like simple and nice. What's next for you? What are you working on right now? Are you already full on in planning mode for the next? Or tell me a bit about what happens after a show. After a show, I always have a little moment of depression. You know, like the, the pressure goes down. So that's the moment where I take a little bit of time for myself. So the first things I'm going to do is go to Paris and uh, see my friends and walk around with my dog. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? It's a mix of a lot of stuff. It's, um, <laughs> it's a dog Peter and I got when we were living in New York. And it was um, a dog that came from uh, Alabama. It's, it's a rescue. Nice. So I'm going to do that, see my friends, have beers, uh, you know, have great dinners and walk my dog. But every day feels quite different, which is basically the reason I love my job so much. So we've been talking to people because this will air around the holidays. You're from Paris. Yes. You grew up in Paris. What do you love about the holidays in Paris? How was your Parisian Christmas like when you were growing up? It's funny because I never had Christmas in Paris. My mom is from Belgium and my dad is from the Pyrenees. So it was always either there or there. I can tell you a lot about the Christmas in uh, Belgium. It's joyful. In general, my grandmother would put jazz and music and we would dance. Very, very simple. <laughs> Did you get dressed up? Yeah, I mean, everyone was trying to, to do their best. You know, in French, we say to se mettre sur son 31, you know, like beautiful clothes and, you know, it's a day for a shirt and, you know, like very joyful. Everyone tried to be pretty and looking their best at the table. But, you know, after two hours, everyone has danced. And then suddenly everyone feels more relaxed and, you know, like this is the kind of uh, Christmas I love. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate that. And lovely to see Thank you. Thank you so much, Yoma. <laughs> ciao, ciao. Bye. Merci. Good to see you. Ah, love a man who goes home to his mama for Christmas. I know. I actually got my green card paperwork early, so I'll be going home for oh, Christmas too. That's like love actually. I don't know. It feels like it's a Curtis movie. I know Christmas in London. Who doesn't love oh, it? Perfect. Christmas came early. The Run-Through with Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mel. See you next week. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. 